today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 to chapter 9, verse 7 to 17. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled a pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's great to be with you always. Blessing to worship with you. Thank you for having me. I recently came across a clip of someone talking about some of the reasons to colonize Mars. Have you seen this? I found it fascinating. One of the main reasons that people have begun to plan for colonizing Mars is to ensure the survival of humanity. So the concern is that there could someday soon be a natural disaster that completely wipes out humanity. Or there could be a world war that completely destroys humanity. And so we must, much, we must have a backup plan to begin anew on another planet. Why is that such an intriguing thought? Why is it so compelling that it drives people to invest their lives in this pursuit? I think at least one reason is that as you look around at the world, it's obvious that things are not how they should be. In fact, it may seem like things are only getting worse. 
We see natural disasters happening all over the world. Just last week, we had record rain in our city. We see divisions in our country, conflict between nations. We see inequality, suffering, oppression, death. We see these things and something deep within us knows that isn't how things are meant to be. And we have this innate desire to begin anew, even on another planet, that we might finally find the peace, safety, and deep soul rest for which we long. There's something deep within us that yearns to begin anew, that we might live a life closer to the way things were meant to be. Now, most of us probably won't have the opportunity to do this on Mars, but this hunger in our hearts works itself out on a smaller scale, too, in our our everyday lives. For example, for me, one thing that I frequently strive to begin anew is my diet. I know that I shouldn't eat so much pizza and General Tso's, and so I strive to begin anew, to eat more fruit and vegetables instead. Another one for me is to better love my two-year-old son, David Jr. I know that I don't always act the way that I should, and I desire to begin anew, to be a kinder, more patient father for him. We all have things that we desire to begin anew. Maybe for you, it's your job. and So you are unhappy where you are, and so you're pursuing a new job. Or maybe you're pursuing a new career that you hope will be a better fit. Maybe you've decided to create a new budget or to start a new hobby. Maybe you've decided to begin anew your search for a romantic partner. Maybe you're considering starting a family. And I don't know about you, but the crisp fall air and the leaves beginning to change always reminds me of new beginnings. It reminds me especially of uh, a season in my life where I moved to Northern Ireland for a semester to begin Bible college. It was this season when I felt God calling me to change from a career in music to that of a pastor. Maybe you're beginning a new season of your life here today. Or maybe you're here today because you desire to begin anew your spiritual life. Whatever it is, We all desire to begin anew. That plays itself out in our everyday lives and also as we consider ultimate things like the meaning of life and the reason for suffering. We all know deep down that the world isn't as it should be and we long to begin anew that we might live a life closer to the way things were meant to be. That's exactly what our passage today is about. It's about God recreating the earth and promising to never again destroy the earth by a flood, that he might bring all creation into the way things were meant to be. So here's what we'll see in this passage. This is the main point of what I have to say today. God recreates the earth. He flooded the earth, but now he begins anew, and he gives the rainbow as a sign of his promise to never again destroy the earth with a flood. And why does he do that? 
that instead of destroying the earth, he might bring all creation into its originally intended state of eternal rest, that he might make things the way that they were always meant to be. Even if this is your first time in church, you've probably heard the story of Noah and the flood where mankind became so wicked that God destroys the entire earth by a flood, saving only Noah, his family, and the animals that are in the ark with him. Our passage for today begins right after those floodwaters have subsided. And already here there's a picture of God beginning anew. God is recreating the earth. Let me show you just two ways that we see this, although there are more, but let me share two of the biggest reasons. Uh, So first, in Genesis 1, when God creates the earth, we're told that he separates the waters from the dry land. And as the floodwaters subside in Genesis 8, it's a picture of the same thing. God is once again separating the waters from the dry land. And as Noah and his family take their first steps off the ark and onto this recreated earth, God gives them the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve at the beginning. He tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Noah is presented here as a new Adam in a recreated earth. Now, why does that matter to us all these thousands of years later? Who cares? What matters deeply to all of us here, and even to all creation, because it means that God knows that things aren't the way they should be. And he has a plan to make them right. He sees your tears after losing that loved one. And he knows that isn't how it should be. He sees your loneliness, your sickness, your pain. He knows the hurt in that relationship. And he knows that isn't how it should be. He sees the way that you were treated the other day. He knows the difficulty of that addiction. And he knows that isn't how it should be. God sees every brokenness, every injustice, and every disaster, and he knows that isn't how it should be. And he has a plan to make all things right and to bring you deep soul rest in him. Noah is a partial fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve five chapters earlier. When God created Adam and Eve, he commissioned them to spread his blessing throughout all the earth that all creation might be brought into eternal rest, into a state of perfect wholeness, goodness, and beauty. But instead, that first Adam sinned against God. And instead of spreading God's blessing, brought a curse upon all creation. But even in that curse, God promised that, Eve would, that, the, that an offspring of Eve would one day defeat the serpent who deceived them, reverse the curse, and make all things right. And so naturally, Adam and Eve hoped that one of their sons, Cain or Abel, would be the one to do that. 
But instead, things only get worse. Cain kills his brother Abel, and God curses Cain. So once again, instead of blessing, sin brings curse. But Adam and Eve haven't lost hope yet. They have another son, and they name him in hope that he is the offspring that God has promised. They name him Seth, which sounds like the Hebrew word for put, as in the promise that God gave to put enmity between the serpent and the offspring of Eve who would one day deliver them. But then eventually, Seth dies. And in the following generations, rather than mankind spreading God's blessing throughout the earth, they multiply their sin. And by Genesis 6, we're told that when God looked upon the earth, rather than seeing it and declaring it good, like his refrain at creation where God saw that it was good, what does God see? He saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. God sees that things are no longer good, but wicked. Mankind has not spread his blessing, but multiplied their wickedness. And now by the time of Noah, it's been over 1,000 years since God promised Adam and Eve that one of their offspring would bring them rest. And instead of things getting better, they've only gotten worse. A thousand years is a long time. I don't know about you, but if I were living here at this time, I, I would be pretty tempted to give up on God. Maybe part of you feels like giving up on God today, too. Maybe you look around and you see the brokenness of the world and you question if there really could be a God. Or if there is a God, if he really could be good. Maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job. Maybe you're in a period of uncertainty and you feel like you've cried out to God and he isn't answering. So you wonder if he really is there or if he really does care. Do you ever feel like that? Let me encourage you to not give up on God. Because what we see in this passage is that our God is a God who remembers his promises. And I know it may not always feel like it, but just like God was with Noah and his family, so he is with you through the storms of this life. And like Noah was plodding along, hammering day after day to build that ark, I'm sure it felt at times like, God, are you really going to come with this flood? Are you really going to recreate the earth? We can feel that way sometimes today, too. Is God really going to come and make things right? When you feel that way, remember what God does here in this passage. God does not forget his promise to Adam and Eve, but renews his promise with Noah. And as we'll see, even expands upon it. Eight generations after Seth, Noah is born. Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. And we're told in chapter 5 that his father called his name Noah, saying, 
Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Like Adam and Eve before him, Noah's father had faith that God had not forgotten his promises, but that maybe this son would be the offspring who would finally reverse the curse of Adam's sin that brought painful toil to our labor, rather than peace and rest. And it looks like perhaps God has answered his prayer. Noah is called a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And like Adam and Eve before the fall, we're told that he walked with God. And God has chosen this righteous bringer of rest to save from the flood and begin creation anew. And so as Noah and his family step off the ark onto this recreated earth, they do so filled with promise. I mean, imagine if you were the first person to step off of that space shuttle onto Mars Imagine the hope and anticipation you'd feel. That's what's happening here. Maybe this is the one who will finally free us from the curse and bring all creation rest. And as Noah and his family step off the ark, what's the first thing that they do? It's not planting an American flag. Look at verse 20. This is significant. The first thing that Noah does is offer a sacrifice to God. Not everything is the same as when God first created the earth. The presence now of sin in the world requires sacrifice. And there's something fascinating in verse 21. I hope you find it as fascinating as I do, and I think you might. Look at how God responds to Noah's sacrifice. It says, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and this is a play on Noah's name, by the way, the word for pleasing sounds like Noah or rest. So we could even translate this, when the Lord smells the rest-inducing aroma or the Noahic aroma. When the Lord smelled the aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now here's the really interesting part in all of this. The reason that God gives for never again striking down every living creature is the same reason that in chapter 6, God does exactly that. In chapter 6, God says that because mankind has become so evil, because the intention of his heart is only evil continually, therefore I will destroy the earth with a flood. And now here, for that very same reason, God chooses to display mercy. In chapter 6, the evil of mankind is the reason for God's judgment. In chapter 8, the evil for mankind is the reason for God's mercy. How do we make sense of that? Well, what changed? What does this verse tell us is the reason for the change in God's disposition towards mankind? Verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. What moved God to show mercy? 
the sacrifice of righteous Noah. That's the turning point. Because of Noah's sacrifice, God chooses to display not judgment, but mercy. And he chooses to display mercy not only to Noah, but to all who come after him and even to all creation. The sacrifice of righteous Noah makes atonement for all his offspring and for every living thing. This covenant or this promise is expounded upon in chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, when God speaks directly to Noah. In this section, God reaffirms and expands upon his promise to Adam and Eve by promising to never again destroy the earth by a flood. That instead of destroying the earth, the line of promise from Eve might continue. Rather than being wiped out, her family line continues. And so does the hope that one day one of her offspring might bring all creation into the way things were meant to be, into eternal rest. And the center of this entire passage is the sign that God gives for this covenant or this promise, the rainbow. A few weeks ago, there was a beautiful double rainbow in the city. Did you see it? Here I saw it in... uh, where I live. I saw just a little glimpse of it out the window, and I took my son David Jr. to see it. Uh, But the next day, I saw a picture of it stretched across Central Park, and it was glorious. That rainbow that we saw is a sign of this covenant. It's like a, a wedding ring. When Mifeng and I got married, we made a promise to each other to always love the other, for better or for worse. And as a sign of that promise, we gave each other rings so that every time I see my ring, I remember the promise that she made to me and that I made to her. In the same way, the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. When he sees it in the clouds, we read, he remembers his promise to never again flood the earth. And while we're told that the rainbow is a sign for God, that when he sees it in the clouds, he will remember his promise, it's also given for us that when we see it, we might remember God's promise to us. It's a sign to us that even these thousands of years after Noah, God has not forgotten his promise. But when we see that rainbow like we did the other day, It's a sign of the same promise that God made to Noah and his offspring, all the way down to you and to me. The next time you see a rainbow, don't just be awed by its beauty, though it's good to do that. Be awed also by his faithfulness and by the promise that it seals, that although we surely deserve God's wrath, though we deserve another flood. God has chosen to show mercy. We can take that for granted, but that's an astounding thing. We take God's mercy for granted only insofar as we forget his own holiness and our own sin. We forget that it's not those people who corrupt the earth, 
It's not just those people who deserve God's wrath. It's me. And it's you. It's our pride, selfishness, lust, and greed that corrupts the earth. And yet out of his abundant mercy, God promises to never again flood the earth and gives us the rainbow as a sign of his promise so that when we see that, we might stand in awe of his mercy and faithfulness. And so now we see the main point of this passage. God recreates the earth and gives the rainbow as a sign of his promise to never again flood the earth, that he might bring all creation into eternal rest. God recreates the earth with a new Adam, Noah, whose righteous life and sacrifice turn away God's wrath and move God to initiate a covenant to never again flood the earth, that an offspring of Eve might bring all creation eternal rest to the way things were always meant to be. The problem is that in the very next section, Noah gets drunk and disgraces himself. And one of his sons, Canaan, saw his nakedness, and instead of covering up his father, he goes and he tells his brothers about it, or possibly does something even worse to his father. And when Noah finds out, he curses his son, Canaan. And so once again, despite all the promise of a new Adam and of a recreated earth, still instead of spreading God's blessing, the curse continues. It quickly becomes clear that Noah is not the one who will bring all creation into eternal rest. He may have provided a brief reset to creation, a brief respite, but it's not the eternal rest for which we long. Because while Noah may have been righteous compared to his contemporaries, like Adam failed in his temptation of the forbidden fruit, so Noah fails in his temptation in the fruit of the vine and proves himself corrupt like the rest of mankind. After 601 years of walking with God, still Noah fails. That's how old Noah was when he got off the ark. And there's a lesson for us here that time alone isn't the answer to our sin. You could work on yourself for 601 years. That's until the year 2624. Maybe you'd be living on Mars. Think of all the technological advancements you would witness in that time. And yet you'd still struggle with the same sins that you do today. Because what we need is not time for self-improvement. What we need is someone to recreate us from our inmost being, to transform our corrupt and sinful hearts into something pure and beautiful. I know that's what I need. That's not something that time will solve, and that's not something that moving to Mars will solve either. Whether we should colonize Mars or not, I don't know. 
But what I do know is that if we do, it won't bring the utopia for which we hope. Because our problem isn't what planet we live on. No sooner would we move to another planet than we would corrupt that planet just the same as we have Earth. Our problem isn't something that can be solved by moving planets. It's not a problem of time or of space. The problem is that our our hearts have been corrupted by sin, deserve God's judgment, and need to be made new. And it is only Jesus Christ, the long-awaited offspring of Eve, who can turn away God's judgment and recreate our hearts. Noah's sacrifice postponed God's judgment. Jesus' sacrifice fully satisfies the wrath of God for all who trust in him. Jesus is the perfectly righteous new Adam whose perfect sacrifice atones for our sin that he might save us from the judgment that our sinful hearts so justly deserve. Baptism is a picture of this. What happens in your baptism? You're brought through the waters of God's judgment, which Jesus took upon himself. And like Noah, having passed through the flood, began a new creation, so you rise from those waters, a new creation in Christ. And just as after the flood, God sent his spirit to blow over the face of the earth, recreating the dry land, so God breathes his spirit into your hearts that he might might recreate your inmost being. God's spirit transforms our corrupt hearts so that more and more we might live as we were meant to live and spread his blessing throughout all the earth. How might you do that this week as God transforms your hearts, spreading not a curse but God's blessing? Just as God has shown mercy to all flesh, so we are called to do the same. Maybe you do that by fostering or adopting an animal in need. Or maybe God is calling you to consider fostering or adopting a child in need. Maybe it's as simple as a smile and a kind word to a coworker who's having a bad day. Maybe it's doing the dishes for your spouse or your roommates. How can you spread God's blessing this week? It's an important question to pray about, and to talk to others about. But as we seek to spread God's blessing to all creation, it won't always be easy. When the Apostle Peter reflects on the flood, he says that not just before the flood, but in our day too, there will be great wickedness, and there will be storms in your life. But just as God preserved Noah from the flood, so Peter tells us he knows how to rescue the godly from trials. His spirit is with you that even amid the storms of this age, you might find deep rest in his presence.
And just like in the days of Noah, Peter tells us, many in our day will think that God has forgotten his promise to bring an end to evil. They will be eating and drinking with no regard for God's coming judgments. But God has not forgotten his promise, Peter says. Rather, in his great mercy, he has been preserving the earth these past thousands of years because he is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repent and trust in him. And we likewise should have a desire for our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers to repent and trust in God. Whom can you pray for this week? Plead that God would lead them to repent and trust in Him. And ask God for opportunities to share that the hope that you have. For as God's beloved sons and daughters heirs to the promise of Eve from the beginning, we have the greatest hope of all. We live with faith that someday soon our God will bring us into his recreated world. We trust in Jesus Christ, the one who brings an end to the curse on earth by himself bearing that curse. He is the one who will bring us safely through the coming judgment and spread his blessing throughout all the earth that he might bring all creation into eternal rest in him. As you walk with God through the storms of this life, remember the rainbow. Remember his promise to you that he is with you and that he shows his mercy that one day soon he might make all things right and give you rest. Let's pray. God, thank you for the mercy that you show us each and every day. And thank you for the grace of your son who gave his life that we might find rest forever in your presence. Give us your spirit today, we ask, that he might transform our hearts more and more into the likeness of your Son. And equip us by your spirit that we might spread your blessing to our friends, neighbors, co-workers, and indeed throughout all the earth. Do this for the sake of your Son in whose name we pray. Amen.